Welcome. This is Why Life Is. I'm Niles McFlower. Tonight, hey, we're going to deal with some of the more difficult to understand difficulties that people have in trying to overcome and solve, hopefully, their time-space issues if you're physically alive, which I assume that's who I'm talking to, are the people who are physically alive. And uh, let me preface what I'm saying by by going into some of the last number of shows where I gave some ideas of how people could somewhat overcome through technology and consciousness applied uh, time-space problems of travel through time and space and having connections with the past and the present and even potentially the future. But all of it requires that, first of all, the technologies of this world have to be uh, tremendously uh, improved upon. And beyond that, the consciousness of the people who would be using these technologies have to be pretty, uh, pretty much developed further than we're on an average they are today. Uh, all that seemed to make sense. We talked about, or I talked about, black holes and, and, and how they, if they are correctly placed, can create a wormhole that uh, you need at least two. You could have more black holes than that. And the result would be that you would have a stable wormhole that you could travel through um, and go back in time and effectively even... Uh, therefore travel anywhere in space at the same time. But there's limitations on that methodology because you can only go certain places in terms of space and certain ways in terms of time to uh, use this methodology. You couldn't be anywhere near an actual planetary solar system, and you would have to be... Uh, there'd be only a a few places you could do this from and if it was pretty far from where your solar system is in this case our solar system uh, we may not have the technology to easily get to even that location and and then come back here without a huge amount of waste in time because we don't understand what time space really is and we don't therefore know how to solve these particular problems but tonight I'm going to give you some answers to that so the and I've I've talked about other factors that are somewhat similar to these difficulties that um, unfortunately humans on earth are particularly plagued by because we do not even have a sacred planet People on a sacred planet uh, have no evil in it, and that alone allows them to be able to have some level of communication with others outside of their planetary system uh, who they would like to be in contact with. And that's because their own consciousnesses are producing that solution for themselves. Uh, We are primitive and our consciousness 
for most people who exist on Earth today, particularly if they're physically alive, uh, really have uh, little chance of achieving such uh, types of contact. And it isn't that there aren't beings out there who would like to have contact with us, but uh, we should be aware that they're not in part because we can't. And even if we, if they can make it possible so we could in some technological way, it probably would not benefit us and it might cause greater harm because it might free up the evil in this planet and in the solar system to move about more readily and do harm to others or attempt to in any case. So that's something to think about. And what is what is the problem with people not recognizing that time space is an illusion? In other words, the idea, the very idea that it takes time to do something and uh, the space that exists uh, is caused effectively by uh, the unjoining together of energies so that intelligent activity is possible. And so we have non or unintelligent activities happening with most of the energy in the universe that we perceive to be where we exist. And that makes it very difficult for us to uh, be free of us, be free of us. We have isolated ourselves, is what I'm trying to explain, through our lack of consciousness and through our own selfishness in general. Selfishness on a worldwide scale, not necessarily just individual selfishness. So let's go through what would be the ideal so we could get an idea of what's wrong, <laughs> okay? And in a more, we'll call it, enlightened world, the ideal would be to be in communication with all of the light side, all of the people who are somewhat or more so enlightened to the point where their communication with us is benefited by our communication with them. It is a criteria that that take place. So nobody can spoon-feed us consciousness. They can't say, well, we're way more conscious than you. Here, have some of ours, and just give it. They do that all the time, but they know that they can't give it to those who are selfish and will use it to harm themselves and possibly others. And so this is the restriction that they put on us, and we have this restriction, as in Angel's Wisdom sometimes called a ring pass dive, where we cannot out, get outside of the realm of our own selfishness in our thought, and particularly in our givingness, or we could say consciousness, uh, so that we have, uh, we'll say, a more connected life to the life that is all around us, but we just don't know about. Now, some of that life that is around us is actually uh, making it possible for us to, in various, very, very distant ways, to find out that there is life elsewhere in, um, in our 
we'll call it part of existence, and what we would call in our universe. Right? Our universe is not what we think it is. It's something much greater than what we perceive it to be. And so uh, the, pro- the reason we can't get this kind of boost by realizing it is because it can only happen by mutual cooperation towards the goals of serving others and not through just someone giving it to us and we say, thank you very much, and pay it back maybe someday. That doesn't work that way, and it's not possible for others to try to make it work that way because they are more conscious and recognize that it's not possible. So we have this very, very strange thing. Now, you might say, well, what about that dark side thing? What if they try to set us up, you know? They'll send messages to us, you know, and tell us that they're really the good guys. They're wonderful, and they'll try to feed us a, a, a bunch of malarkey. Well, the good news is that the dark side uh, at the present time uh, in this particular galaxy doesn't have that capability. They only have it in galaxies in which um, there are uh, more dark worlds than there are not. So the majority of the galaxy itself has gone dark. Uh, Luckily, our galaxy, called the Milky Way, doesn't have that particular issue or problem. Uh, And for good reason. It was designed, it was actually a pretty good galaxy to start with, and it was chosen that this galaxy would be the galaxy that, I mean, this planet, this planetary system would be the planetary system within this galaxy that evil would be able, able to get a foothold. It was actually like a chosen thing, not by evil itself. And so they were enticed to come here, if you might say, on an outer part of the galaxy, one of its arms, it's called. And uh, in that arm, we are pretty well um, distant from most other solar systems. And uh, it would take uh, a dark ones a considerable degree of time and space for their development to contaminate any significant portion of the Milky Way, our galaxy. This was done deliberately so that if things go wayward, which they could easily do on Earth, because this is a grand experiment to see if we can overcome evil that is given the upper hand to begin with, at least as far as a particular solar system is concerned. And so with that given to the dark side, uh, the object is to see how well how well we can fare against the overwhelming odds against us to create a world of light out of a world that was designed to more easily become evil. And you say, well, who came up with that idea? <laughs> well, if you really want to test something, you have to go to the limits to really have a conclusion. And a lot of people don't understand that concept. They think, well, why would you want to test something that's so extreme one way, you know, against light, against God? 
Well, in a way, it's a good thing because it it shows all of the uh, parts of our existence that are faulty, that need some adjustment. And it does so in a very efficient uh, manner by accelerating, by over twice, the uh, growth of human life uh, and development on Earth. And by allowing the dark side effectively to even beat the crap out of this world for a considerable length of time before anybody stepped in to even, in a minor, in minor ways, try to stop what was a, a runaway train of evil. And that was only to uh, continue the experiment to allow humanity every opportunity to truly reverse this uh, very strong evil tendency that uh, the solar system, our solar system, um, has towards, in terms of Earth, developing into a very dark place. Now, you could say, well, isn't it, would there be some other way to try this thing out, like more just, uh, you know, let's do it on paper or something? And no, unfortunately, because this is one of those things that you have to actually do to find the answer. It just doesn't work that way. Uh, if, and believe me, if it did work that way, I mean, if it was some other alternative, I think that there would have been an agreement to try that alternative. But I believe those alternatives were tried without getting to the root of the problem. And... Uh, not necessarily in, a, in this galaxy, but there's you know trillions of them. So you can't you can't really you can't you can't really just uh, use the one galaxy. You need something that gives us a more conceptual framework in which it becomes obvious the ways to go or not go, rather than say, well, we just want to win the game, so we'll do, we'll do this or that. Uh, certainly that could have been done, but nothing would have really moved forward in terms of learning how to defeat evil. And that's really what it's about. Now you might say, well, what about the souls that came here, uh, that joined this thing? And of course, you're speaking to a person who has a soul, and there's others <laughs> listening to the show as well. And so those folks are, uh, some of them are aware that we're here to overcome this conflict. Others are mired in the negativity of it and run away from it, and some become caught up in evil and become evil themselves. And probably the majority are both ignorant and try to uh, close their eyes uh, unless it comes very close to home for them, and then they might do something. And that's about where our world is right now. This is Earth and the, the solar system, or Sol star, the star of Sol. And it, it's a real goofy kind of uh, premise because for most people, they kind of don't get it. And so you have to ask yourself, well, if they're not getting it, what, what good is it coming here as a soul? And when you incarnate, you just don't understand what the hell you're there for, you know. And you make up, and you may become not only one of the victims, but you become one of the perpetrators in some circumstances, depending upon the lifetime, etc. Well, 
this idea of free choice is so important that it overpowers all those uh, reservations and conflicts and issues. And the souls that did come here understood what I said before they came here. So that's the that's the big deal. Now there are indigenous souls, if you go back in time, that uh, come through a development of animals eventually into humans. They're rare. Those are the rarities that may have come through since the development of Earth as a living world. But that is a very, very unusual circumstance. Are there some beings here that are like that? And yeah, yeah, they, they are. Some of them actually have advanced to the point where they're no longer human. But we have to we have to look at it from what is the vast, vast, vast majority of people and what are they like, and it's pretty much what I'm describing here. Exceptions do exist, but they don't really change the formulation and the outcome. So you can't say because of an exceptional person the outcome is going to be radically changed. It won't be. It just doesn't work out that way. And so the consequences are really based upon the vast number of people that are lost and that those people's souls that came here um, just can't can't, from the vantage point of being alive in the physical world, stay connected to their greater part in the higher part of the mental world. And that's connected effectively to their soul and a greater being, the super soul, solar angel. And so that connection it has to be reestablished and developed. You don't, you're not going to be born with. You're not going to get it automatically because it's owed to you or something. That's not the way it is determined. All right, so now we have some idea of why things are the way they are. And the question arises, okay, how do we solve this problem? What's, what's, what is it? We've you know, got a, a solving time-space problems seem virtually impossible because of the sheer size to our from our perspective now if you're a greater being the size is is irrelevant it doesn't mean anything but to us we are swamped overcome by the apparent size of the universe and let's talk about that particular side of it because that's what brings us closer to what tonight's show is about. We separate time and space. Uh, and we do so because time-space is an illusion in itself. The whole thing is a, a composite of erroneous, uh, we'll call it sense, that then leads to er erroneous consciousness and everything else. Our, we can't adequately sense things because... We're too selfish to use our senses in ways that are whole. And the results are we have this, we'll call it, explanation of the universe, which is completely wrong, that we go by. How do we achieve some better results? Well, the, the first 
element to uh, achieve a better result is to hopefully, if we're going to make this thing ever work, uh, hopefully uh, for us to get a bearing or an idea of the fact that space and time are the illusion created by our inability to um, give enough, be conscious enough to others, and to be creative enough and make our purpose to co-create with others that lead to a co-creation with God. And that in itself is a gigantic leap. So the difficulty in solving time-space is to recognize that time-space is the illusion. (laughs) You have to get over the illusion of it to solve it. Uh, And that's our biggest problem, because the illusion doesn't go away until you change who you are and what you're choosing to do in service to others and in helping others to grow instead of being concerned about yourself or some people that you think are important to you. That's the... That's the... The big issue, that's the ba- the basis of what we're here to try to learn. And you could say, okay, well, if you know that time-space is the illusion, that this thing called time and space are created by selfishness, and the selfishness could go away just by serving others and by giving to them what they need so they can further serve. So we're collectively in servile mode, you can say. Why can't people do that? And the answer is that they could if they chose to. But the choice to do so has to be not at a human person level as it is um, for that person becoming a living soul. So the person has to decide to join with their soul to solve the problem. Of course, they have to believe that that can be done. They have to believe there is a soul, and they have one. And they have to believe other people have souls. And they have to believe that the souls all can work together, and they choose to do that. And so if you look at all of the ingredients to this, that's this stumbling block, and that is what's holding back us. What happens when you start solving for that? Well, a whole change in not just perspective, but in actual existence takes place. You start seeing the illusion of time-space, and then it's just—it's just falsity. And you begin to recognize that you can connect with any and all who need to co-serve in whatever way is needed at the time that is most effective for all those that you're serving so that only they can choose to do the same. If 
they choose not to, then you restrict or withdraw whatever giving is you have for them, love, and you allow them to face their problem because they're a soul that has a personality with a person all rebellious to the idea of being a soul. You can't force them to be a soul. You can assist them if they choose to. And you have to make your assistance based upon their own choices and not upon anything that you can do that will ensure it. You can do things that may help, but you can't control it. You can't say, well, I do this and this is my goal, but what happens. Well, that isn't what's going to happen. Because when you freely give, the others may just freely take or just ignore what you do. And that's part of the way it's supposed to be. It also makes it rather difficult for people who choose doing what I'm talking about because they may become rejected a great many times. Their givingness may be turned against them. There's a, a number of factors that come into play that are fairly serious outcomes in reality to uh, destroying this whole system and making it so the dark side can win. But, you know, this was all known about ahead of time. And it isn't like there was any guarantee of success, quite the opposite. Success was going to have to be greatly developed by each individual soul and their incarnates working uh, feverishly to try to prevent a catastrophe which is going to always be just a short ways away if enough uh, souls don't make the choice to solve the problem or at least help in solving the problem. So this is the sort of stuff that we have that keeps going on and on and on in our processing of the circumstances that I'm describing. Now, as I mentioned uh, last week, uh, what we're doing is I'm going to take a uh, break uh, for about all of 30 seconds. And you get to hear some Tibetan bells, if we can make that happen. And uh, in the meantime, I I take care of my voice so that the show uh, is not interrupted by my loss of being able to speak to you all. So, and we're going to do that uh, right now. Okay, so I'm back, and uh, hopefully you heard some bells in there. And um, let me continue on with this uh, this idea now. So we have a kind of uh, self-created, uh, if you consider the fact that the souls participate in this, 
problem. The problem is that human beings are in the dimension that we are in, ignorance of what their soul is and don't even know necessarily that they have one. And so they don't understand what the soul's goal is in attempting to solve the overall, uh, we'll say, plan becoming adopted more generally to defeat evil and to uh, make this a sacred world that is free of evil. And so we have this conflict. And when a soul starts to incarnate from the mental world, it is faced with this conflict almost immediately because once the new personality is formed, which is kind of a first step, and a lower self is incorporated in part of that personality, but the personality is actually in control of that lower self, which most people don't know about. Uh, and so the subconscious part of us, we call that, is that uh, called the personality, I mean called the, the, the well, it is called the, pers- the personality, but it's, it's a subconscious part, is actually uh, more often than not controlling what we think of as our consciousness. And that is a very bad outcome because it means that the soul gets kind of ignored. And the soul has to uncover itself through a series of lifetimes, and actually hundreds of them, that leads to its opening so that it takes over from the personality, when the personality is really going awry. It actually does this by uh, evoking a state of thought that the personality is overwhelmed by, uh, so the personality is our subconscious, is overwhelmed by it. And while it is overwhelmed, which would be a matter of seconds, minutes, days, years, we don't know. It depends on the person and how often they do this sort of thing. then the personality starts falling in line quickly with allowing, somewhat begrudgingly, (laughs) this is a strange part about it, allowing the uh, self, which is actually the more conscious part of us, right, but under its control, to be freed from its control. So it splits itself from its own self and allows the self to be somewhat connected, if the self chooses to, with the soul. So if we don't have that happen, the personality almost always wins those contests. So it has to go in the method that I have just stated, including the idea that the personality has to let go, because it's subconscious to the self, and more or even most of the time, uh, in fairly undeveloped people, uh, after maybe you know dozens to hundreds, but not a critical number of lifetimes, it controls people. The, the, the personality is doing the controlling. It's, 
Lots of people say, well, no, it's me doing it controlling. I'm the person. I'm awake. I'm conscious. You can just ask me. Well, uh, we do ask you all the time, in a sense, because the question is easily answerable by who are you serving? Are you attempting to serve your subconscious personality, which we would call ourselves, or are you attempting to serve the souls with the souls of others and serve the conscious part of their self, uh, joining and only in the position of joining with their souls by proof, which means that they must give rather than take from others. And so if you look at it from that particular standpoint, well, yeah, this this is a solvable thing. You just got to get the personality to kind of like move over you know, and say, hey, you know, it's okay, you do, you do a great job, but it doesn't count to be subconscious because I don't want to have to think about all the crap you have to think about. But when it comes time to being of service to others and of growing consciousness, then that has to be a fully conscious thing that is done by the self joining with the higher self. And the soul, it's the soul part of us joining with the personality. And you you look at this and you say, wow. So if that's the, the formula, why don't we just get everybody to do that? Yeah. They have to do it by their own choice. You can't, you can't hold a gun to their head and say, yeah, now today you're going to be a soul, and if you don't, I'm going to shoot you in the head. Now, that doesn't work like that. It has to be free choice to uh, resolve this problem. As a matter of fact, if you were to do what I just said and force somebody to be good, you would be functioning as an evil being. That is so strange, but actually a true statement. Even though you might say, well, but my motive is good. I really want uh, people to, uh, you know, uh, live on the path of righteousness and be giving to others. And uh, if they don't, they should be forced to, so I'll force them. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It just doesn't work that way because they don't change, and they can't change anybody else until they do it because they create. They create the goodness themselves and use it to serve others and you can't you can't get between those two things and force people to do it because it's it's the opposite of what souls do all right so we have we have some understanding now about how this thing is going to take place more or less and whether or not we're going to be in some way capable of achieving the goals that we're trying to get to, and um, that once we reach the point where we're serving others, certainly past the majority of the time point, the ability to solve the time-space illusion goes away. And from that point, we can work together to reach out to a whole galaxy and multiple vast numbers of galaxies of beings who are doing the same thing in their world. 
they have become enlightened at some level, and their world has reached a point where it is a world with, we'll say, real love and real givingness as its focal point, and it's a world where <clears throat> people who are physically alive are not confined to a very, very limited, almost completely disconnected existence from all other beings. And the other beings have learned, some of them anyway, that you can't come to Earth and change this either. You can't say, oh, well, we'll go over there and try to see if we can help those poor poor beings over there. It doesn't work. It's been tried, but it's, it failed. And the reason it doesn't work is this is something that has to come from inside and from inside the world itself, not from externals coming here. Because then what happens, at least in the past what happened is, people started to uh, worship the beings again instead of God. Even though they were told that these beings were, uh, you know, they're not God. They're just here trying to help God out. So, But that was misunderstood by the primitive nature of the consciousness of the people at the times that those things happened. So bad was that outcome, by the way, that it made things worse instead of better. And then that's when beings that might be around kept away from us finding that they're here. Because the more we understood their real existence, we then placed misunderstanding of who and what they were and what they came here to do. Uh, and so for our uh, mistakenness of that, uh, the world paid many costs over time. Today, that's a, that's a no-no. That's not done anymore. But it was tried, for sure, at various times with no success, and in some cases, catastrophic results. So we have uh, a fascinating, really fascinating idea here going on, and that is that it's going to take one heck of a lot to achieve the kind of results that we want to do, we want to have, so that we don't fall into the illusion that time space is holding us captive and preventing us from having connections with all other life, all of the human life, and superhuman as well. So, we can get past this, and I'll talk more about that, of course, in the next segment. But our our problem has been, and it always has remained this way, that we've been looking for shortcuts, and we think they're external to ourselves. And we don't believe that we're so subconsciously driven that we can't control all this stuff. We think the opposite. But yet our personalities govern almost 95, I don't even know, a percent of what we do. We're so, self, we're so subconsciously controlled 
that we're completely unaware of. <laughs> That's the weird part about it. People, at least the people I meet all the time, think that they're doing great things. They're wonderful. When they're downright selfish and they don't care about people and they don't want to assist other people to become much better beings, including functional souls here. They they think they're doing something good by giving those people something they want, may even deserve because they gave something to somebody else, but it's not, it's not really needed by the person that they gave it to. They just gave it to them because the other person liked it and they felt good about it. But those kinds of uh, positions lead to what we have, which is that people are selfish and they function subconsciously as a highly selfish being. That is, the personality is controlling everything about us. Almost no control comes from our soul. And souls really don't control anyway. What they do is they enable. They enable us to be more intelligent in our giving. And the intelligence in the givingness reduces the amount of time space that we have to be saddled with. Isn't that interesting? I find that an interesting statement in itself. Now, it has been true that at times everything I'm saying hasn't quite gone that way and we've had some some successes but they are real real except, uh, you know and almost all of them are not by normal average folk they're by the exception by the rule what we call sometimes spiritual disciples who aren't just disciples in name only but really function that way and sometimes collectively within a group do so which is much more effective, which we're going to find out more of next uh, next part of the show. But it, it, all of that is what we want to think of, you know, we would like to be, but it isn't who we are while we're physically alive. Now, what about the multidimensional aspect? Okay, well, then when we die and go to the astral world, are we just fine, hunky-dory? no. Because even in the astral world, people's desires are controlled by their personality, and they desire all kinds of stuff. And they can get most of the things that they desire. And so they focus on that rather than on serving other people by giving to them what they need to be good givers. And that just happens almost none of the time until you get to the very highest parts of the astral world. So I, the idea that you go living in your next life, which is in the astral world, and suddenly you're going to change into a super being who has great qualities and he has solved all these really horrible parts of being human, uh, that's what they think is going to happen, and it, it never does. It just it's, it's not what really happens at all. And we pay a very high price 
for not correcting these problems because each lifetime gets effectively wasted and worse than that creates karmic problems for the future to make the next several lifetimes more difficult. And those we can't escape. It isn't like, oh, well, I was dead in one life and I'm alive in another, so I don't have to worry about what I did before. No, it's just the opposite. You have to, it, all, it all is connected. And you can't just say, well, I'm better today, so I can just throw all this stuff aside. Well, the things that you did harmful are still working their way out indefinitely. There's no time limit on it. So you're going to have to take the step and really make up for what was done by helping others to serve and by not falling victim to going back to trying to get something for nothing and and get and try to uh, get something because your the appearance of your service is there, which is what a lot of people fortunately do, and it's more common than almost anything I could say here on this show. All right, so. The number of people who are in this incredible, we'll call it, difficult times uh, are the vast majority of everybody around us. And the number of people who have become awakened as a soul so that the personality is no longer at least consistently controlling us, those people are just very small a fraction, a very small fraction of the public, and they don't always succeed. So even among that number, they're not 100% successful. So it doesn't look all that great. I have to tell you, if you're concerned about the outcomes of these things, which I am, uh, you ask yourself, wow, this looks like almost everything is against us. We're going nowhere fast. And uh, almost everything is subconscious to the self, and our self isn't even really joined with our souls, and on and on and on. on. Well, of course, I'm going to help us find answers to these things, but I did want to make sure that everybody recognizes what the difficulty is that people cannot overcome time-space issues because, which is the illusion, because it's connected to themselves. Literally. Connected to who and what makes them who they are by their own choices. Wow. That's a pretty big statement. All right, so I think what we're going to do here, I'm going to take another, uh, you know, very brief, about 30-second break, uh, get my voice in order, then we're going to go ahead and probably break for some commercials, and then uh, when we come back from all of that, I'm going to resume where I'm at, and uh, the show will then have more answers than problems from that point forward. Okay, so I'm going to take one more break before we go to break. 
uh, trying different uh, methods of uh, dealing with my voice. And uh, I want to keep it. It would be good because talking, not being able to talk when you're on the radio is usually not an effective method <laughs> of communication. All right. I mean, maybe I could start doing some, you know, finger gestures or something. I don't think that'll solve it. All right. So we're going to first uh, do this 30-second thing, and then after that, when I come back, uh, we'll go to a break. Okay, so we're back. Um, in the after we turn we return from our break now, uh, we'll go into solving this problem. Now the solutions you may find to be uh, interesting, but maybe they'll also seem a little hard to understand unless you're actually attempting to do some of them already. But I'll do the best I can to try to help you get there. And, of course, you know, if there's something I say that you don't fully understand, you can you can call, you can write, you can do other things to get better information so that uh, we can fill in the gaps. There's a lot of different possibilities. So we're going to go to break, and we'll be back, give or take, in about two and a half minutes from right now. Hun, what book are you reading? It's a novel kind of, about romance, love, and spiritual life in general. Kind of a novel? What do you mean? Well, it's based on some real-life experiences and even real characters. Some of their experiences are fascinating and remarkable. I can't put this book down. How come the title is Afterlife Love? That's part of the fascination. This book describes the afterlife in intricate detail and even explains why things are the way they're explained. But how can anyone write about or know that? Some of the characters travel out of body to some places that people who've already died also go to. I'm finding it completely believable because it all makes sense and fits into a bigger picture for me. Hun, what happens to these people? You can read it for yourself when I'm done if you want. Better yet, I'll get my own copy so we can discuss it while we read. Let me see. I'll write down the title. It's Afterlife Love by Niles McFlower. M-A-C-F-L-O-U-E-R. Afterlife Love is available in some bookstores and from the publisher at agelesswisdom.com or 480-966-3132. That's 480-966-3132. Hi, everyone. Since childhood, I've had questions about my life and life in general that I couldn't find adequate answers to. Questions like, why am I here? Why are others here? Does the universe have a purpose? And how does that relate to my life? More recently, I've been wondering what happens when we die, especially the reasons why. I'm more of a doubter than a believer in many things, and answers that include the whys allow me to think and figure out the truth for myself. I've been reading a book, Life's Hidden Meaning. This one book contains more answers, including the whys, than all other sources I've read or heard. It's amazing to me that every one of my questions has been thoroughly answered. More importantly, I have found that all of these answers so far have checked out to be true. I hope this message helps some of you in your quest for better understanding. 
The name of this wonderful book is, again, Life's Hidden Meaning by metaphysician Niles McFlower. Some bookstores sell it. I got my copy directly from the publisher at agelesswisdom.com. Life's Hidden Meaning may enlighten your mind and bring some peace and joy to your heart. is I'm Niles McFlower. Tonight we're dealing with the difficulties in solving time-space issues for people who are physically alive. And uh, in the first part of the show, uh, we kind of got an idea of what the problem is about. The real question is, how do you solve it? How do you really, really solve it? And I have some answers. Uh, it's going to sound for some people like, wow, how could I do that? But, you know, it, it kind of makes sense. So I will uh, go into it now so that you can have this basic idea in mind. You might not be able to do it right away. I might say, I might say well, gee, just because you listen to the show, you should be able to do this. I, I don't think that's true. But let's, let's talk about how do you sell it. All right, how do you not believe, how do you not feel isolated and confined to a small planet in the arm of, of a, one of billions of galaxies? How do you do that? And the answer is not as hard as it may sound, but maybe it is a bit out there for some people. The answer has to do with you can't do it alone. The idea that any one person can solve the time-space issue is not possible. So you can't do it alone. Well, how in the heck do you do this thing? And if you say you can do it, but then what? Well, you have to do it through what is known as co-service by being in a group that is able to share their um, parts of their higher selves. And those parts have to do with energy fields that surround their soul and that if they serve together, they can use these fields collectively now. once they are consistent servers and can serve based upon the needs of not just the people in the group, but those that they're serving as well. And once they collectively could do this, and I'll give you some numbers in a few minutes, but once they can collectively do this and they can do it in a balanced way with enough people actually doing it, then the result is that the time-space issue literally goes away. So they don't any longer perceive or experience the physical dimension as a dimension of such size and impossible time issues to be able to be in communication with 
or effectively co-serve with anybody that isn't right here, and even here that seems impossible as well, and they're still confined to the time that they're in. So all of that is what is the illusion, and that's overcome with the following formula based upon what I've determined to be the absolute minimum number of people doing this sort of thing all at the same time. And you need uh, you need one person being in the group who can control the whole thing. Okay? They control the whole system. And it helps to have even another one. But then you need a total of that person with no less than nine others. If you can get that, the result would be, and this is an interesting part of this, that you could break through the illusion of the time-space, and time and space would just disappear, so that you could be instantly in connection with uh, beings in very far away parts of time and or space, because you don't experience time-space anymore. Time-space is the illusion. Remember that. That's the illusion. So you just don't experience it. And what you experience is a form of co-service. But your service has to match something they're doing as well. And you find that out by participating in the joining of these things called the petals of the soul that surround the soul. And they're part of the higher uh, higher part of the middle body and this is the minimum place you can establish this sort of effect and you can say well what level does each person have to be functioning at? I mean is there some kind of like and it's all based upon the use of the pedals themselves the pedals have to be evenly used which is usually taken place by someone like myself who's a, a teacher and then you you if you balance those out, uh, the other people are, don't have to be that concerned about the, the, what, what's happening in that part of it. But they have to be concerned about their focus of service towards others and the ways in which they're going to contribute that service as a part of this whole thing. The best thing is, is if you have 12 people doing it instead of nine, but nine is the minimum to even uh, get anywhere with it. And then if you had 12, it would be even greater. Now, where? how do you get to that point? What is it you've got to do? I mean, do you all sit around together and try to meditate on something? No, it's the exact opposite. It only comes from actual interaction and service in whatever they're doing in this world at this time to be of service to others. So in the process of being of service to others according to what their plan is, they get into the bigger plan of joining time-space issues, so it just disappears from them. So then they could be in contact with beings from all over the universe. And that leads to a tremendous change in perspective. So changing the difficulties is really about recognizing 
the selfishnesses and then overcoming them through service. And how long might this service take? Oh, it might take years, for sure. Almost certainly would. And But eventually you can get there. It isn't like, well, it's going to be 100 years. No, no, it's probably a few years, maybe five, something like that. Whatever it is, you can make it happen with the understanding that you're still doing your initial service, but this is an outcome of the result of overcoming the illusions which are preventing this greater outcome. And it is pretty fascinating to consider. And uh, it is self-developed. So we don't have to say, well, I've, we got to go talk to those beings over there and they'll help us. Or you got to get to this point or that point. No, no, it's all done through the pre-surface, so called, uh, that a group is doing. But if they're doing it along this order that I'm discussing, the results can be pretty amazing. You can actually reach a point where each being, each person that is part of this whole part, uh, starts literally experiencing on a regular, consistent basis the removal of the illusion of time-space from the physical world's life, freeing them to become super-beings of sorts and having direct communication with other beings from all over, way outside this, this particular galaxy, and maybe to galaxies that are billions of light years away. I mean, it's possible they could be so far away we, can, we can't even imagine where they are. And so, because time and space no longer have any bearing on the circumstances. And this is where people kind of get lost because they say, well, if, if that's true, then you're, the whole universe is this lie or illusion that there is all of this time and space between us and everything else, and that's, yes, that's the illusion. But you're not, you can't get over the illusion just by saying, well, sit and meditate about that. You get over it by your service, which then leads to you becoming a living soul, which then leads to no longer having the senses of a selfish human anymore interfering and you become a soul here that eliminates the, uh, we'll call it the selfish perspective of the personality, and it's over control of the self, and it's ridiculousness of following things that are purely for the benefit of its quote-unquote uh, soul and, and, and human form, which is a... You know, that's like crazy, but that's what most people are really like. All right, so I think I consider this a very exciting idea, really. And it's because of the possibility of doing it in years instead of lifetimes, I think it's very encouraging. It's not easy. I don't think that uh, that you could say, well, gee, we'll just all work at it and we should have this done in no time. 
I would think it's going to take a considerable effort, but you can't, your effort really can't be to attain the level of consciousness. It's to serve others. So let's talk about that part of it so that we have a better understanding of why it's really about service and not about the consciousness of people. Uh, when we talk about consciousness, we're talking about the ability to understand. And understanding only comes through giving and not receiving. And that's where it gets confusing for people because they think that they should receive something for all the giving you're doing when inherent in the giving you've already received far more than what they may believe they should receive. And so that's where the illusions come in and where people go down this in the wrong way. The, the grand method that's used in these procedures is that in the past, at least, uh, the teacher and or a master of Ages Wisdom was there to assist the people involved to make the right choices. But with this particular scenario that I'm presenting today, the teacher does not does not present the uh, needed scenarios for people in their service. Rather, the teacher uh, encourages each person to participate through the use of this part of the soul that we call the, the antikarana and the, all the other aspects that interconnect. So they are truly the conscious doer of the action. If they stay subconscious, no matter how good they do perform, maybe they're really good at listening to their teacher, who knows, uh, it, it won't work. So it has to be this collective creative process where each person has chosen to give as is needed as best as they can with, in cooperation with everybody else, but not being told exactly what to do or when to do it, and getting uh, constant directions from even, if there's a big teacher, from even a big teacher or for a little teacher or from anybody or a leader of a group. You, you can't, that can't be part of the equation to achieve the results we're looking at. So you have to eliminate that. That doesn't mean that sometimes that won't happen prior but if you really want to get to this goal that I'm talking about, where you're truly going to be co-serving and serving others as a soul would, well, now we're talking about a totally different kind of actual outcome, and getting there is different. It's not the same thing. Now, you can say, well, what about getting rid of all your karma? Isn't that a good thing? And karma doesn't even play in any. Because when you start waking up, your karma is just opportunities to solve problems that you may have made. 
in prior lifetimes. And while you're solving the problem of the time-space issue, you're also solving all of the karmic issues from your past simultaneously. So that disappears too. It just, it just, it just goes away from your service. And this is, and again, you can't do it for that purpose. Your purpose has to be in service of others, but that's the outcome. So all of this sounds amazingly uh, good. Uh, there's still the tricky question of how do people even grasp what it means to uh, not experience the illusion of time-space without trying to solve it in themselves for themselves. I mean, that's, the, you know, it's like, okay, I can't do it for myself, and I can't do it even though it's part of myself. I can only do it by ignoring all that and by serving others in ways that require uh, me not to be focused on anything about myself for good, bad, or indifference purposes. So sometimes the results may not be all that wonderful for me, assuming I'm talking about myself here. It's going to just be as wonderful as it might be under certain circumstances, but it's not going to be always wonderful. And it's not always going to work out with some benefit to the person who is doing it. Quite the opposite. The person doing it doesn't benefit at the moment, but in the long run, they have tremendous benefit. So they don't have immediate gratification, immediate anything out of this system. If anything, they have tremendous delayed gratification, if you can call it even that. Because unless you think, as I do, that love is gratifying, but uh, other than that, it's all you got. You don't get anything else, including getting rid of your karma, or including getting rid of uh, the uh, getting rid of the karma by accelerating the getting rid of part, or by helping others to do the same. Even because it's not about getting rid of the karma other people have either. It's about service to others. That's the element that's so critical. And I, I find this rather, we'll say, thought-provoking, to say the least. And uh, if we look at some of the specifics of the nine minimum, the nine different ways that people are using the energies that create the soul, because these are intelligent activities we're talking about, you're actually activating activities into full intelligence at their most crucial time of benefit to others who are in need of it. It is irrelevant to doing it for those others that you're doing it with, it's irrelevant to doing it for the benefit of people in general who are spiritual disciples or who are doing similar things or any of this stuff. So you, all that goes by the wayside. You can't, you can't equate it that way. And you can't make it work that way. So this is a bit different than what most people would consider to be uh, service as a soul. You know? And 
once a person gets going on this, let's say they can maintain it pretty regularly and, and consistent, their whole existence starts to shift, and within short order, short being still a few years could be, but they will start experiencing the co-service of others who are such vast dif- differences in time-space, apparently, away, as to see make it seem impossible to us, but to them it will be irrelevant because they'll realize all they're doing is getting rid of the very illusions that make it seem like everybody's so far away from each other. Aha! Uh-huh. Starting to make some sense here? Now, not everybody's going to believe what I'm telling you, and not everybody will even understand this show, but it's uh, certainly a uh, a pathway. And I think it's important that people be encouraged to see these things that are possible. Granted, almost everybody will not immediately see it, and will certainly not immediately experience the results of it, but just the fact that you're tuned in, so to speak, and you're willing to listen with an open heart and mind, that's a big change in itself. Now, what does that mean in terms of space-time? What the heck is happening to the space-time thing, since it's supposedly some illusion, then why do we even have space-time? And then you got to go back to the question of free will and the ability for people on their own, not with God standing here, so you do this or that, or there's some stand-in for God, we may call it a Ray Lord or something. It's just not that. It's not going to be God telling you, do this, do that, and you just follow now, if you're really into the uh, religious side, some religions, particularly the Old Testament in some parts, the New Testament in other parts of the, the Christian Bible, you, you find that that is kind of prevalent in some of the statements and methodologies. But there are also parts of those same, we'll call religious tools, and in other ways, including the Kabbalah and other things, that show a completely more, we'll call it, in-depth understanding of this process. And one that is unique that humans can create themselves into something that is beyond human. At least as we think of humans. It isn't beyond human on a sacred world where people are doing it all the time. But it is here in a world where people are almost never doing it. And you can see what I'm getting at there. All right, so where is the bottom line? How do we manage, then, the uh, specific process here at this time on this little planet we're on? And the answer is fairly direct. And that is that you can't do it alone. You must be in a spiritual group. The higher the level of service of that spiritual group, the more 
more you will become and the faster you will get there in terms of getting rid of the illusion of time and space. And you will be freed, freed of the confinements that the, this puts on beings, that they can't really have direct connection with other humans anywhere. It's just lost to them. And especially while they're physically alive. Now, yeah, if you get to the mental world, isn't it true, or when you get there, isn't it true that if you keep up with this thought process in the mental world, you're much more likely to experience a considerable amount of illusion retrieve disappearing and service becoming reality, and then you're not uh, going to get caught in the time-space illusion itself. But, you know, that's pretty far off, and the best time to do this is right here in the physical world, because let's say that you become a perfect being in the mental world. You still have to exercise everything in the astral, and particularly the physical worlds, to bring... God fully into the picture. You can't, like, skip over. Well, I'm not so good with the astral stuff. I just won't pay attention to that. You know, that's a, that's a typical human response, right? But I'm pretty good mentally, so I'll just work there. Uh, because it's all really together, we don't have the luxury of ignoring those parts that just aren't convenient for us, though, that we maybe wouldn't be too good at doing that does create a bit of a crisis for some people because in their minds they have to wait till after they're dead, at least in the physical world, before any of this comes to reality. That isn't exactly true, by the way. You can be physically alive and continue to work on these problems, on these issues in the astral and mental worlds all the way into the intuitional world. You can do that by becoming more and more a soul and less and less in having perceptual problems about time-space. So by getting rid of the time-space in each dimensional part, you make it easier to do so in the remaining, provided you pay attention to the fact that you're living in these illusions that you're overcoming. You don't have to be dead one place and alive another to get there. As a matter of fact, quite the opposite it'd be better not to have that because then you're really facing the real world. Pretty interesting stuff. I'm going to take another um, like 30 second break here to deal with the voice thing and uh, we'll then come back to this subject and look at some other interesting elements about it. And we'll do that in 30 seconds, give or take for right now. Okay, 
when we're back here. And uh, now let's look at some other parts of this so that we can gain uh, a more intimate understanding of what it means to, as a group of people, to defeat the illusion of time-space. Once the group of people can co-serve with each other, with, in the surface, uh, and in their plans to serve as well, they are consistently not being uh, defeated by their illusions of time-space. So they reach a point where they are so confident that they are beyond their subconscious controlling of their lives in a selfish way. They can afford to face the real issues inside themselves that are creating these illusions and the illusion of time space. So, and each person will get there somewhat differently and not even in the same, what we call, time period. But this isn't about everybody being squarely the same. It's about each person uh, doing whatever they can at the time, at any time, to be of service to others that are both in the group and particularly outside of the group. And the establishment of that comes through collaboration with some other groups possibly, but also with the members in the group and with those that need some co-service that are even not in some way directly connected to what the group is doing. This is a fascinating idea because it really starts looking like we're talking about a unification of people on a soul level. Now, let's leave the physical issues, which are the easiest to talk about, and talk about mental, I mean, the mental, the astral world, time, space, illusions as well. Well, we know the astral world has more evidence in support uh, that people are living in illusion about time and space, but most people in the astral world still confine themselves to believing that they are controlled by time and space even though it doesn't exist. So go figure. And again, the answer to this problem is no different than it was or is on the etheric physical world. But in the astral world, since the people that you're mostly going to be serving are going to be people who are in the astral world, it becomes a completely different methodology. Because what we call glamours and the desire to feel certain things over other things um, is a highly illusion aspect of and including time-space distortions. Because how you feel about something, okay, 
is intimately tied to where and when that something is. But if time and space don't really exist and you can convince yourself and those you serve to some extent that that's what's happening in the astral world, you can open up another door of light that will then lead to even further, even further uh, resolving time-space, we'll call it illusion. And so it, it, it disappears. Now you can say, well, when does that happen? Well, it starts to happen in the third uh, astral world. But the third astral world is very contradictory. I've written about some of this. Some of you may be familiar with it. What happens in the third astral world is that the beings there understand at least some of the concepts behind what I'm talking about, but they think that, that the solution can be found in manipulating time-space through various things like quantum computers, superpositionings, and uh, other factors uh, that lead to a resolution, they think, of this contradiction and problems. It doesn't work, though. Everything they do is doomed for failure. And the reason for it is because they are confirming that they believe that there is such a thing as time-space, every time they try to overcome its effects on themselves and others. <laughs> so it's a very contradictory kind of life to live that way. And that's really true of the, th of the third astral world. Uh, it's, it's apparent that if you go there, that's what's going on. And, of course, they're never going to get out of that. They, they, because... They think, wow, this new way of looking at new way of dealing with it may solve the problem. And all it does is make it worse because they're reaffirming the fact that the illusion of time-space is real. They just got to work with it and find their own solutions, which are somewhat technological and somewhat based upon uh, principles in what we call ageless wisdom applied for the immediate concerns and difficulties they're having at that time. Well, that's all well and good, except it's just more illusion. It doesn't, it doesn't change the circumstances. And it's sort of like giving yourself a whole new set of problems while you never solved the last set. <laughs> You're just going to keep piling them on by your own thought process. And it's unfortunate. And this is, at least in some respects, why uh, people that exist in the third astral subworld are really pretty messed up because they have these unusually confusing and contradictory ideas. Pretty, pretty fascinating. All right, so... Again, can they overcome this? Sure. Uh, if you apply my solution, as I had suggested before, there's no reason that the astral version of what we call the Antikorana issues 
uh, can't be independently or in unison with the etheric physical uh, overcome by recognizing that time-space is the illusion and not seek it as a, as a method of solving the problem. The problem isn't in the time-space continuum. It's in the fact that you believe there is one. <laughs> so going to it and monkeying with it isn't going to change anything because you still can't solve the problem. Matter of fact, you may have it worse to start with because you're creating an illusion, a greater level of illusion within yourself. And in some cases, depending upon how well you deal with others, a whole bunch of others in your society may not be too happy about what you're doing. So you see how oddly this whole thing can turn into a living nightmare because people are unaware that they are the creators. They are a co-joined being with God. They still believe that God is somewhere separate, not recognizing that life is God's growth. Therefore, every place there's life, there's God. Not somebody you can just hang on the wall or something. <laughs> you know, I mean, it, it, it's it's kind of a very strange thing that that's what we face on a fairly regular basis. This is no small problem. This is actually a fairly big problem. <laughs> All right, not just the astral component, right? What about when people move on to the monastic realm, to the mental world? Now, let's say that you've given up your bodies, and now you're living in the in the mental realm. And what do you find? What happens? Well... Just because people are in the mental world doesn't mean they've resolved the fact that um, time-space is really an illusion. As a matter of fact, they have such a strong opinion in some cases that time-space is non-illusionary that they get trapped in it. (laughs) They trap themselves in a time-space, usually past-oriented, in which they are creating what is called an Akashic experience, in which the time that they think they're living in is the time that is an alternate creation of time-space with somewhat different... Uh, rules governing its existence and that is surrounding and preventing the person who is thinking all this uh, from being able to interrelate with many other people just in the mental world much less in different worlds different times etc so this is a real fascinating idea that this thing really gets crazy now that we're in the metal world, it's really goofy. Not everybody ends up in an Akashic experience, at least not for very long periods of time, but a sizable number of people that aren't dreaming and sleeping, but are actually living in the, in the metal world, 
have this problem. And they don't get better from it. They get worse to some extent because they constantly believe that their Akashic realm is a is a valid experience to them. And they may prefer the models that they create in these situations to what has been their real life. And also... Uh, it delays or prevents them from uh, giving up the desire to control time and space, which is, you can't control something that doesn't really exist. So obviously they can't control it. Now, there are people, and I've done a bit of this at a different time in my existence, uh, that serve in the middle world at times, in trying to get people to recognize this extremely illusionary part of themselves. And it could take huge amounts of effort to get people to recognize that they are the creators of the illusion that they are locking themselves into and the illusion just is increasing and not decreasing their sense, sensory misperceptions and increasing their uh, belief that there is a unique time space to the reality of what they're experiencing. That is so amazing what I just said. So what you have then is, even in the metal world, or maybe particularly in the metal world, you have such de- such delusional aspects, the time-space, that are so confusing to most of the inhabitants that a significant portion of them lock themselves up into a time-space that's not in any way related to anything other than their own illusions. So they're not living a real life here. And they're contributing to the mis- misperceptions of the rest of the people in the middle world. So it all gets, it goes to hell, so to speak, and makes it terrible. All right. Let's say you go to the mental world and you get these people to come out of the Akashic experience. Does that solve the problem? No. It makes it more likely to be able to be solved but it doesn't solve the problem in and of itself. Why not? Well, because all you've done is you've convinced them that some ways of creation of uh, various forms of time-space are contrary to what is real. But since all of time-space is not real, all of it, they're still buying into, maybe even worse than before that they started having Akashic experiences or while they were having, that they're the creators of this nonsense that they think is the way things really are. Talk about strength, that is a strange thing. And then you say, well, how am I going to ever get through that? Because you're saying that even when you awaken, you're still in the illusion. 
Well, the way you do this, again, is through surface. The surface is a bit different than it is in the physical and the astral worlds because now your surface is directly contacting into the soul itself, and you have to start from that position. You can't, uh, unlike in the astral and the physical dimension, you have the capability of gradually developing yourself into a soul. But in the mental world, it's kind of like an either-or. So you get, because of its extreme distortion change, time and space really spread out, as you may realize, if red lights in me. So the ultimate aspect of this stuff is the awakening is not just outside of this Akashic thing. The awakening is that the whole thing is illusionary. And the solution is ultimately to start serving not necessarily other humans at that high level, but to start serving with other souls. So you graduate yourself into becoming a junior soul, and you start co-serving with other souls when you're talking about the middle world. As you start co-serving with souls, you eventually reach the higher mental part, which then changes the illusion of the time space, and it goes away. And then your closeness with the other souls is very, very great. But you may not have even started close to that while you were doing this experiment to achieve this goal. And so it is possible to do all this. But I went a long way, and you can see, to overcoming the illusions of time and space is increasingly more difficult, not easier as you move up to higher dimensions. Because you're dealing with more dimensionality that you have to correct. There's an added dimension each time you move up. And most people are really, really fixated on what they receive, particularly when they get to the astral and lower mental worlds, of what they receive from their uh, thought processes of overcoming time space. And so when they, they, they really have a total, have to, you have to change what you want in order to get what you're looking for. <laughs> so. All right. How often do people really get there to do this? Well, uh, if we start employing, again, the process that I'm suggesting, which I don't say has been successfully done here on Earth, but... Let's say that we can do it, okay, and you get all the way to the higher mental world, right, okay, and where the soul is found, and now you're doing it in collaboration with the soul, and in this particular case, you have to include a significant proportion of the solar angel even leading into the Buddha realm. Wow. And the part that is in the mental world has to be completely devoid of any belief that time space is a real thing. Wow. And so where does that put someone who is able of doing that? You know, they're functioning as their soul, but only in concert with other souls, who are no longer in the illusion that they are trapped by time-space issues because time-space itself doesn't exist. It's the only illusion that keeps it going and 
causes us to even experience it. That's a fascinating idea. So it's all self-corrective, and we can do it all together, and we can leave the illusion behind, and we can become a kind of unit of oneness, even though we're unique individuals, and we do so by serving in ways that allows each person who is doing the serving, you got to recognize what I'm talking about, the experience of no time space. So as they work on overcoming the illusions of time space, they reach the conclusion that time space is the illusion. <laughs> and they don't just reach it by some mental gyration. They do it by actual experience experience in the, in the mental world. That's a toughie. Because now you're saying you're going to change the instrument that gives you the thoughts that allows you to be of service to others that convinces you that there is such a thing as time and space because you're using it for the benefit of these others. Okay. So what really must be happening? Well, every time you're in actual service to others, not doing it for some BS ruling or something, you're also giving up and rejecting the idea that you're controlled by time and space. If you get really good at that, now let's think about this for a second, you reach the atomic level of the mental world. What happens there? Well, when you reach the atomic level of the mental world and there's no more time space, you now have connection to all other beings everywhere in the universe, okay, up to and including parts of the Buddha world, but certainly through the whole mental world, without, without any restrictions or illusions about things that you have to uh, you, you have to accept and give or, or become part of with others. It's not true. Absolutely not true, because none of that is, is the way it really is working. And that's the part that I hope we can kind of accept tonight, because once you get there, Time-space ceases to exist, not just in the mental world, but everywhere. And now you truly are a free being, capable of living as a co-server with all other beings who have your approximate same, similar way of being conscious. And you are creating an infinite bridge into their existences, and you're making yourself into something much greater than just a mere human being by our standards today. Now, what we're going to call these beings is, it doesn't really matter, it's just a name. But what's important is that you can actually get there. And we've built things so that you can make it that way, or help to make it that way. So. That's part of the reason we're making studios and doing other things is because it's a step in that direction. We're moving that way even though our goals are not to just get rid of time and space. 
our goals are to find God. But time-space is the thing that's standing in the way. Why does the dark side not want us to see that? Because they use these illusions to prevent us, so to speak, from exercising the truth, which would be that we don't have to pay attention to to what time space is. What we have to do is to get rid of the idea that it's controlling us. And that frees a person to becoming a greater soul than a monastic world soul. The soul now is a moving, growing position in the intuitional world where it is in a position of uh, gradually, by their standards, uh, joining with the uh, intuitional beings who no longer are troubled or controlled by time-space itself. They know it's all nonsense. There's no such thing. It's only the illusions that keep its part going in some people, such as we found. And this is a this is a really great outcome. I I really like this part of how it all seems to work out. Now I've had some experience with some of this. I'm not going to go into it, but I can see from those experiences that everything I'm telling you is confirmed. And so that's the point that's so great about this that you you can. Find this for yourself. You don't have to be taught it. You don't, it really is available. Now, it's true, people are so, unfortunately, egotistical and or arrogant that it stands in the way. That's, that's an illusion. It definitely stands in the way. But you can get over those things, particularly when you're not believing any longer that time-space exists and prevents you from this, that, and the other thing. Pretty amazing stuff. Now, will physics take a change from all this? Well, sure, because we know that multidimensionally, the idea of time-space is what confounds most physicists. They, They can't understand it. And they don't know how to deal with it. So they do goofy things. They make huge errors in judgment and trying to figure out things that are not what's really happening, but they can't fathom that. And a group like the ones like us, we call ourselves like a world service group that just means that we're able to do things that will affect the whole world. Well, nothing might affect the world more than for the world to realize that it's not confined by time-space because that's the illusion and that it can grow way beyond what we consider to be its very limited position in the solar system, far from anything almost, where there's very little that there is true interconnection with. So, I mean, really, it's fascinating to look at our present position and and recognize that we're probably on the verge of this, which is amazing. We can actually start thinking that this is the way we're moving towards. 
And maybe that will finish off the evil that is so powerfully trying to control this world and create the very illusions that I'm trying to get rid of tonight. Okay, we're going to go for one more, the last uh, voice break, because I haven't got much longer. So I'm going to take that, uh, give or take, about 30 seconds. I think we may hear some Tibetan bells somewhere going ding, ding, dang, ding. And uh, I'll be back in about 30 seconds. Okay, that's going to be our last one for tonight. And um, so I'm going to kind of wrap this all up. We've got about not much longer to go, really. And um, let me let me present to you some interesting things that everybody can do. So you don't have everybody says, "Well, I'm not a member of your group, but I can't do this. I can't do that." Well, why not do this? Why not make the assumption, and I say this, you have to really buy into it, okay? The assumption is that you, yourself, are going to join with others as of yet unknown. You don't have their names, addresses, anything. But those others are already trying. And so you're going to join with them and for every bit of day, every day, for a bit of time, you're going to try to connect with them and to come up with a way of seeing past and not being controlled by time-space limitations. The very fact that you're attempting to do this, even though you don't know the names of or who might be doing it with you, that that shouldn't matter if you can get around this. We'll start to cause the very thing you want to happen, which is that you have some other kinds of contact other than your own thought at the time. And I believe if you continue to do this for, say, a month or two, I'm talking about indefinitely, you will start noticing that you are starting to free yourself from time space. Particularly if you can do it maniacally, which is the most powerful one. If you can't do that, you could start with the lower levels and work your way to it. There's no, there's no rule that you have to do any of this in any kind of fashion or order. The bigger point is to try to involve yourself with others. Some of those others have never heard this show. They're not following what I'm saying. They're just already doing some of what I'm saying. So you're just joining with them. And if you assume they're out there, which I can almost guarantee they are, they may not be huge numbers of them, but there are some, then you are creating for yourself a uh, resolution, partial at least, of the time-space illusion. And you're getting yourself into a new perspective 
way in which you can better serve and eventually co-serve with some of these other people. You will bring them into your life and they will bring you into theirs just by the fact that you're solving this issue. You know, it sounds hard to believe. You just got to try it and see. Now, again, the monastic is going to be the most difficult. Can you start with the ethereal physical? If you want to, sure. Any place you can do this, you're better off than not. It's just that you're not going to get the most prominent results by doing it. You're not going to get the big, profound things like that. Wow. Look at this. But you'll get something. So if you say, well, I just I, I don't feel that comfortable with this mental thing. It sounds way, way too far from me. Why don't I just start with the ethereal? You can do that. You can start with the ethereal thing and do it that way if you want. And the process, again, is relatively simple. Listen to tonight's show again as soon as it's posted. And it might help you to get to the ideas that you need to have almost at your fingertips. You can't be trying to figure all this stuff out while you're actually trying to serve. It doesn't work. It has to be something you're, you've gotten through and you're going to be, and you're already committed to doing it. And that's where you really win the game. That's how you really get to that point that is so tremendously important to get to, to get rid of the illusion. And once you are free from time and space, you may have direct contact with beings from other worlds who are already way ahead of what I'm talking about in themselves. It isn't that you have to wait a certain period of time. It isn't like you have to wait for them to get a hold of you. They're available. You're just not letting yourself be there. Okay. Hopefully tonight's show has helped people to do some resolving of time-space problems because it's illusion. And once you overcome it, you become a different being. Well, we're out of time for right, for right now. And until next week, this has been Niles McFarland for Wildlife Feast.